that's part of what our advisors do is help families really pull together resources and interesting ways of learning that speak to their own kids. And so we can usually mesh whatever extra requirements they might have, depending on where they live, with the freedom that we can offer them as well. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. In the tra- Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, I am excited to talk with another great innovator in the transformative education space. And today we are going to be talking about global learning communities as a positive disruptor in how we think about the concept of what is school and why does it matter? And joining us today is April Huard, who is the Director of Education at the Conlara School in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So April, welcome to Learning Unboxed. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Excellent. We're excited about the conversation. And so just so we can set some context for our listeners as we get started here, Kanlara School is a global learning community with a mission to transform education on a global scale with a highly personalized approach that fosters autonomy, authenticity, and joy in the learning process. And they have campuses in Ann Arbor, Michigan, are opening a campus in Portugal and have around 2,000 off-campus students who, by the way, come from all over the world, uh, pursuing their interests and goals. And Kanlara believes that student-centered interest-led learning is, in fact, the path to meaningful growth. So, April, we want to hear more about this. First and foremost, let's start with what the heck is Conlara? What does that mean? All right. Yes. The name of our school is Clonlara School. That's actually an Irish uh, word. It's It means meadow of the mare. But our founder, Pat Montgomery, her father was from a town in Ireland called Clonlara. So, it's a little, um, you know, nod to him and a way to honor him with our name. Yeah. Which is which is a beautiful thing, right? You know, um, as a founder, I do understand that we tap into the things that we know that we're passionate about. And usually that's the way great things sort of happen because there's some passion or connection to it. So I, I actually love that nod to her father. That's beautiful. Yeah. So let's step back just a little bit, though, and sort of get into the weeds about why why this particular school model because it's an interesting model and we're going to we're going to sort of dig into it and we've talked with global schools on this program before you have a little bit of a different twist here because you actually offer multiple ways for students to be part of the school. And I think that's the part that really intrigues me, um, in addition to all the autonomy and student-led components of it. But let's talk a little bit about that piece, that option for how you think about school and how you access school from, from the particular model. Right. So Clonora School started as a campus program. We're in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, we have a physical campus here with students who attend, you know, every day with teachers, you know, um, that looks a little bit more like the traditional model. And it started that way um, over 55 years ago. Our founder, as I said, Pat Montgomery, really wanted something for her kids that didn't really exist. And so she created it, um, you know, basically out of thin air. Um, she had a place here where she uh, just let kids lead the process and the learning, very interest-led and child-centered. Um, with that 
you know, the, the news of that kind of spread and people started to come from a little further in Michigan and, you know, how can we do this? We can't really drive to Ann Arbor every day, but how could we do this same thing with our own kids at home? That's how our off-campus program was really born. Um, she, she helped them replicate really what we were doing on our campus program. And um, from that little beginning, we've grown to, as you said, over 2,000 students in 70 countries. And so um, a lot of our students in our off-campus program are homeschooling at home with their parents, you know, like traditional homeschooling families. But we also have a lot of families who are, you know, using um, a micro school part of the week or a learning center or some kind of, you know, pod that they created over uh, COVID. Or we even have students who are um, in a, a school um, or a more formal type of group that are also doing Clonara inside um, that program as well. And so um, our learners look very different. It's a very diverse um, community of students who, you know, can do whatever curriculum they want. We don't, we don't prescribe a curriculum, which makes us a lot different than a lot of other schools. Uh, parents are free to choose whatever they feel is best for their own kids and meets their own goals. And so that's what we do here. We, we um, provide academic advisors to all of those students and families who really walk with them through the process of developing a personalized education plan and carrying that plan out, you know, mm-hmm. through graduation. Okay, so then I I can my my brain is just churning and I can just see my you know fellow educators out and about the world they're going okay. Sounds like a really great thing. How how do you how do you make the logistics of some of the components work? So so let's just sort of take it in some some bite-sized pieces. So the first one is that for the students who are not in Michigan and who are not on the, 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 the in-person or main campus, I guess, if you will, let's set that aside for a minute and really talk about how does, how does the, the program sort of work in and tap in from just making sure that students who are accessing the different program options from other parts of the world, other parts of the United States, from even within, as you said, you know, their existing schools, their micro schools, their homeschool sort of ecosystems that have been created. How are they then tracking and ensuring that the students are, are, are getting the things that they need to actually be able to ultimately complete? Mm-hmm. So we have our own unique process here called Full Circle Learning, and it's a process that we've developed that it's really sort of like a visual representation of the learning, the natural learning process that that normally happens. You know, when as adults, we try to learn something. These are the steps that we often unconsciously go through. And so um, we ask students to complete these Full Circle Learning um documentation forms, which we have available to them online. Um, For every, you know, if they're high school students and they're earning credit, it's for every credit or half credit. Um, If it's elementary or middle school students, um, it's by project a lot of times, sometimes subjects, depending on how parents want to report those things. But that's the way um, that we stay really in contact with the family and the student about what is happening. Um, We do put a lot of trust in our parents and uh, our families. And so that's a big part of what we do. If we didn't trust our families and and develop those really strong relationships with them at the beginning, it wouldn't work at all. But um, you know, we've developed ways to to work with families, to meet them on Zoom, to get to know them. Um, you mentioned autonomy at the beginning. We really are believers in autonomy and relationship and competency, which is you know self determination theory, which we really uh, like to follow here. And so we we incorporate all of those different elements into what we do, so that we can track learning um, and really help 
parents reach the goals that they set individually for their students. I'll mention too that we are developing our own digital platform. And so we have a, we're working with a software company right now. Um, and so all of this will be really interactive where kids can, you know, be out and in the community on a field trip, traveling and just take a picture, attach it to a project that they're working on. And we'll have all of that evidence of learning sort of already gathered inside um, the FCL process. And we also have a way for them to um, evaluate themselves. There's a lot of, uh, we ask the students as they get older to do a lot of self-reflection, um, but also mentors reflect on the learning as well. So we do get a lot of inputs from different places. Mm-hmm. And so then as the students and the families, quite frankly, sort of progress through this process, how do you, how do you, how do you as an organization, because this is one of the questions I always get. So let me, let me back up just a second, right? So, so the, the, the idea of student directed um, learning is scary for lots of folks who are only familiar with a traditional educational setting or experience. And so when we talk about student agency and all the things that sort of come from that ecosystem, if you will, it can be really difficult for lots of people either to A, toe in, right, to even get started in that. But then once they're in that space to navigate that. And and in particular, I think it's really interesting, part of your model has a reliance on families. So the, the, the adults closest to, to the children as they're, they're growing and learning and experience to sort of help be a mentor and guide in, in both the experience and in the outcomes to some extent is what I hear you saying. So how do you help support whoever that adult influence in that's helping make decisions around what a child's educational journey is going to look like feel like they are competent in in that space. You know where I'm going with this because it's really, really difficult. So how do you help scaffold that piece of the experience? So that's outside the student doing the thing. It's right. everybody around the student helping yeah. them do the thing. That's right. So every um, FCL has to have a mentor attached to it. So it's another, you know, way for us to monitor what's, what's happening. Um, but we do a lot of education really with our families and our parents. Uh, We have monthly Zoom calls for parents. We have trainings on the FCL process. You know, this is what we are imagining. We share uh, stories with each other. You know, here's a project that someone did. Um, You know, this is what this student is doing. And so I think a lot of times we learn from watching what's working for other students. Hearing those success stories at the end is really important for families who are especially just starting. You know, if I let my kid do whatever they want, what's going to happen in the end, you know, and we now, you know, we've been around for over 56 years. So we know what happens in the end and we can tell them, you know, kids, we open doors for kids is what we really want to do. So we have students who want to go to Ivy leagues and they do kids get into Harvard and, you know, MIT and places they want to go, but we also help kids be entrepreneurs and start businesses and start careers or, you know, join the military or go to community college or whatever they want to do. And we show that to them, which I think is really helpful. And when they can see for themselves um, the change in their students, when they are able to really take um, the responsibility for their learning and to really have a say in their learning, um, that speaks louder than really anything. You know, sometimes we have kids come to us who a lot of times high school kids will say, what do you, what do you want to do? What are you interested in? And they can't even tell you, they have no idea. Mm -hmm. They don't know. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you have to give them that time to like, let's explore some things. Like, what are you doing in your free time? Maybe it's video games. And so let's start there. Um, But when they finally see their student discover what their passions are, which maybe they never knew before, 
um, you know, it's very powerful. And so that experience and just, you know, really supporting and walking along with families through that process is so important. And that's why every family gets their own advisor and that advisor will walk with you as long as you're enrolled. Um, you know, if, if they're here and you're here, you'll be together the whole way through. And so there's a lot of those supports, you know, clubs, we offer um, virtual clubs for kids so they can get um, to know other kids and, you know, just make that community is really important for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are very important elements, no question. So let's let's talk about some of the differences, if you will, between, I mean, beyond the obvious, right? So there there is the, the on-campus opportunity, and then there's essentially sort of a, a variety of, I guess, if you will, hybrid ways of thinking about also doing this program. But there's some pretty interesting distinctions between those two experiences. So can you sort of compare and contrast a little bit for our listeners? Because I think they're going to find that piece, that element, really fascinating. Because most schools or most school concepts or programs, right, will choose one or the other as their primary driver. And you really think about this as a continuum of opportunity. And one of the things, just to sort of set this up, that I was really intriguing to me that I love about this is the idea, and and for any parent who has gone to a teacher or to a school and said, "Hey, I have a chance to to, to I'm going going for work to I'm just making something up here to Australia, and I would like to." take my kids for two weeks to go with me. I'm going to do my work and then we're going to explore around Australia. Again, making something up. For only to have a school, oh, you can't do that. That's too many days. You're going to be, we're, you're going to have to repeat the year. I, I, honestly, I had to unenroll my children one time. I, I own this. I literally walked in and said, I'm unenrolling my children and they wanted to hand me their, their record. Where were you transferring your kids to? Oh, I'm not. We'll be back in three weeks because you said that my kids were going to learn more with you than with me. In this case, I was going to Galapagos for work. And that's insane. And, and you think about this very differently. So part, part of the reason I'm setting that up is because there is this space that says the world is the place where we can learn. And if we embrace the world where we learn, that is going to translate into how do we then manage learning in a fixed space versus a hybrid space versus a virtual space versus something that we haven't created yet at all. Yeah. Yes, that's... That's the exciting thing is that we really, at Clonara, we can really take kids' experiences and turn them into, you know, formal learning things, you know, even though, you know, that's just to satisfy requirements sometimes, but we can turn them into high school credit. You know, you're going to Australia, let's do geography and let's, you know, do science and let's do, you know, whatever it is that you're going to be interested in, you know, language immersion, you know, what, whatever you might do if you're going to Europe or someplace. Um, and so we can take all of that. We, we recognize the value of formal learning in a school setting, in a class, in a, um, you know, our kids take community college classes or whatever they want to do. But we also recognize the value of non-formal and informal learning as well. And what we can do is, as advisors, help the families think about how does this translate into what we can report on, you know, your, your official documents, because it, it's it matters. It's important, and as you know, sometimes that kind of learning is more impactful, um, provides more connections for students than just reading something. You know, reading about Australia out of a book. You know, that seems obvious, but um, and so we do let kids um, really follow whatever place they're at, whatever is working for them. We have a lot of world schoolers. We have a family who was on a sailboat all year. You know, 
those kinds of things. But we also have kids who, you know, they want to follow the AP curriculum that your their high school's doing and they want to take all the AP tests and they, you know, that's their goals. And the important thing is for kids to own, this is what I want and this is the path I want to do. Um, and that's where, you know, you find the motivation and, you know, the success. Right. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So now I'm super curious about the, um, how do you manage students? Because, and and correct me if I'm wrong. So you have some students that are enrolled in their own homeschools who are also doing Conlara. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? Yes. How, how do you do that? How do you mesh these two things together and it work for the whole set of required outcomes Mm -hmm. that the school has? Is this just Come Laura becomes extracurricular or supplemental, or is there something more cohesive when you tie yes. the pieces together? Right. So if students are truly homeschooling, they might need to follow their state's homeschooling laws. So maybe they need to report something and that's fine. Um, we can work with them on meeting those standards. It's usually not in the U.S. at least. It's not too difficult, you know, to say, well, they, we have to do state history or something like that. Okay, fine. You know, let's plan that. That's fine. Um, But then for the most part, we can let students really follow their interests. So at the first consultation with the family, we sit down and say, um, you know, depending on the age of the student, what do you want to do for English? You know, what's going to what's going to meet your goals and, you know, also your interests and goals now, but also what you want to do later. So that's a big piece of the puzzle that we don't want to leave out. You know, if you're planning to go to, you know, Harvard. Let's talk about what that. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Let's see. We can't just do, you know whatever we want all the time, you know, we might have to get some certain topics and, you know, titles on your transcript, which is completely possible and doable. Um, But if you, you know, if you just want to explore and really be, you know, free and see what, you know, sparks your interest, then, you know, we can do all kinds of things. Our high school program has um, graduation requirements. So our kids have to do, you know, four credits of English and a, a credit of speech and all the things. But we, Within that structure, we really want kids to have as much flexibility as possible um, paired with their post-secondary goals. And so, you know, if if we have students who are, for example, professional equestrians, you know, they might be doing their science all related to like equine biology or, you know, veterinary science or something like that. If that meets their goals, it doesn't have to be biology, physics and chemistry. Um, Sometimes that makes sense if if you're going to a university that requires biology, physics, and chemistry. But we also, the other piece of that is that we let students use whatever resources are um, the best fit for them. So if it's an online class, if it's, you know, experiential learning, if it's a textbook, um, we, that's part of what our advisors do is help families really pull together resources and interesting ways of learning that speak to their own kids. And so we can usually mesh whatever extra requirements they might have, depending on where they live, with the freedom that we can offer them as well. Yeah, I really like that. You know, and one of the things that I see that's fairly common in programs that are as, that are innovative like this, and I, I haven't necessarily spoken to one that works the way um, Kamlara does, but... I do see some commonalities, um, for example. And so one of the commonalities is oftentimes when you provide students with this level of autonomy in terms of just really thinking about what they want, what their goals, what their outcomes are going to be, the reality is our traditional understanding of how long it takes to do school, and I use that phrase very loosely, to do school, um, 
it, it, it's not the same, not by any stretch of the imagination. And so, for example, this idea that high school is a four-year endeavor is, it's fiction. Um, it's, it's a fiction that we constantly um, choose to live um, mm-hmm. because we haven't chosen to make radical modifications to a system that's really no longer pertinent um, any, anymore. So how, how, does, how do some of those components, because I would assume that many of your students, they just like zoom through things, right? And then they're ready for the next thing. So is that the case? Um, is yeah. that what you see? Some students are on that four-year path, and that's what they want. Um, you know, obviously, it's a conversation with parents, but we often have kids, um, maybe they start high school earlier, which we allow, or they um, do high school in three years, which we also allow. It's perfectly, you know, it's it's possible at Flanlara to get all your credits in um, in three years. We do talk with kids about, you know, what it, what is your next step? Would it be nice to take that last year and do like an apprenticeship or an internship or something like that, and then have that, you know, that also that experience before you go off to whatever you want to do. But sometimes it meets the kids' goals to graduate in three years. On the other side, some kids need five years sometimes. Yep. That's yep. all right too. You know, mm-hmm. if you need to go slower, if yep. something happens, if you need extra time, we're very flexible about, you know, ages and, and time periods because every kid is different. And so we want to respect the timeline and the development of every student. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so now let's get into the other side of the questions that I know folks are spinning on, and that's the teachers, right? So let's talk about the educator experience in in a school like this. So first, what 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 is the I guess, how do you ensure that teachers are prepared to teach this way? Because that's the other thing that I've had tons of conversations about, and you know the the how best to put this, the guardrails maybe is what I want to want to say, um, that come with a traditional, um, teaching and learning experience in many ways, um, sort of give people a path forward. It might not be, you know, we can a whole nother conversation, not the right path forward, but it is a path, right. That is relatively, um, easy to follow. doesn't mean the job is easy because it's not. Um, but the path itself is one that you, that's easy for us to visualize and understand. And I, I, I can figure out how to navigate that. But when we're talking about, um, schools or programs like Kamar, that's not the case anymore. So how do you get, educators ready for this experience? Yeah, that's a good question because honestly, it is not easier, but um, more reassuring to have a curriculum, a guide, you know, you're standing up and you're delivering um, information to people in a traditional setting that in some ways is is easier to carry out, um, although it has many challenges as well. Um, Our our model is completely different. So we tell our teachers, you're not really delivering information. You're guiding students to discover information and you're, you know, guiding them to find the right resources and you know, the right opportunities and, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, and so the teacher training is really important. We actually have our own teacher training program that we um, put our, our advisors and our teachers through. So um, it goes over all the basic, you know, foundational ideas of our program, you know, why are we doing the things that we do? Because understanding the why behind it all is really important. Um, it's, it's constant talking and, you know, just being really clear about here's what we, what we want our younger's program to be, which is what we call our K-5 kids. Here's what we want our middle's program to be checking in all the time. You know, is this what's happening? 
where are you having trouble? Um, you know, what's, what's challenging to you? And it, you know, kids are all different. It's, it's going to be challenging, you know, in lots of different ways every day. You know, when we sit in interviews, we try to convey this, like imagine a class with has, you know, 12 kids and they're all doing something different. You know, how would you manage that? But, you know, it takes a lot of time. Um, we really try to look for the right fit. Um, not everybody's the right fit for this kind of education. And we know that, and, you know, they do too. And so we want somebody, if you don't have the passion for um, the philosophy, then it's not going to be a good fit for you. You know, you have to love kids. You have to love spending time with kids. You have to love, you know, being on all the time with kids and really being innovative and flexible and thinking about possibilities for students all the time. And so um, it's, it's a process and we provide a lot of training and a lot of talking and a lot of chances to give, um, you know, honest feedback both ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I also can imagine that as um, folks are are listening to you talk about this, you know, one of the other questions that they have is how how do how do how do kids and families actually opt in? Um, is this part of within the state of Michigan? Is this a public school? Is this a charter? Is it a private? Because it's global, it, you sort of get the sense that 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 opting in can come from all over, but, but how do families actually get access? So Clamara is a, an accredited private school um, in the state of Michigan, but we're a private school. So anybody can enroll, um, you know, and we also, I should say, offer this program in seven different languages. So, you know, if you speak English, you're joining the English program, no matter where you live in the world. Um, if you're speaking Spanish, you join our Spanish program, you know, on and on. So anyone can, um, enroll in our program and be a student of an American private school. And the records that you get at the end, we it's just a private school transcript. It's accepted anywhere in the U.S. Um, other countries, you know, we have, there are some things to think about if you live in a different country and have other external legal requirements that we can talk, you know, our programs can all talk through those and, and help parents understand those. But um, people who speak English enroll in the English program and you're just enrolled in an American private mm-hmm. school. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. So as you think about the last these 56 years, I believe, um, that, that this has been going on, and as you look forward, and with the rapid changes that are happening, not just in the U.S., but on a, on a global scale, yeah. and you think about the work ahead, what, what, is, what is keeping you up at night as, you know, uh, as an education director and, and the space that you're occupying, I have no doubt that there are things that, that you're, you struggle with and, and think about how those, those relate to the work that you're doing specifically with Kalmar. So what might some of those things be? Well, you're right that things are changing, I think, more rapidly right now, maybe, maybe since COVID. You know, we've seen, I think COVID was a real catalyst for change in the education world. Um, you know, it didn't really impact our students and what they were doing off campus wise, because, you know, they could just carry on. But for us um, as an organization, COVID was a catalyst for even better um, connection. And so, you know, now, you know, here we are on Zoom, it's or whatever this is, it's totally normal. You know, every family is completely used to getting on Zoom, which wasn't really the case for us before uh, COVID. But now we've We've come up with lots of ways for kids and families to be connected, um, to join, you know, clubs and webinars and talks and just really, no matter where they are in the world, you know, we, that's really one thing we love about Clamara. And so, you know, I think one of the things is to 
is to find new ways for kids to to follow these personalized plans, but also feel part of, you know, a, a community, a school. Um, so we're, we're always working on that. How can we, you know, better uh, connect our, our kids around the world and even provide t- ways for, to meet up in person, you know, depending on where we are in the world. And then I think just also spread the word and provide more access. Um, you know, some people don't know this is an option for them. We, of course, believe in it um, very passionately. And we want, you know, our mission, as you said, is to transform education on a global scale. So how can we, you know, spread this even further? How can we make sure um, more kids have access to our campus programs, um, you know, which do charge tuition? So that's always, you know, something that we want to bring more kids in and, you know, problem solving those kinds of ideas um, and really just, you know, continue to grow, to scale, to, to spread the word around the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So same question, other side, you know, one of the things that just bring you great joy when you think about the work that you're in right now and the opportunity for kids, because, you know, my experience and certainly the work that we do um, at the PASS Foundation, uh, which which hosts this program, is it, it is all around helping kids find their passion and figuring out how to turn that into the most incredible life experience and careers possible. So with that in mind, I mean, honestly, you know, there's, there's a very rare, is there a day that I don't just become incredibly excited and jazzed just by the kids that I'm around and the things that they're doing and the things that they're telling me. And it is in fact joyful. So, um, and I would imagine that's the same for you. So what are those joyful things about the way that the school and the program works that are you're excited about? Yeah, you're right. This is joyful. In fact, joy is one of our core values of our company. And so we want uh, kids to be joyful about what they're doing. And we want our employees to be joyful about the work that we do. And it really is. I mean, if I had, you know, 20 hours, I could tell you so many stories. And when you start to see kids, like you said, find their passion and do things that are meaningful that to them and be excited and tell you, oh, you know, this is, this is what I wanted to do. We've, we've had families come in and say, I think that, you know, enrolling in your program actually might have saved my child's life because they weren't thriving, you know, in whatever they were doing. And they didn't know necessarily there was another way to do it. And when they figure it out and they see their child come back to themselves and find passions and interests, you know, that's why we do what we do. That's makes everything worth it. I mean, I I got an email today from a family who said, our kid got into, you know, their top college, you know, at 16 years old, and this is a dream come true. And so, you know, those kinds of stories um, right now is we're getting toward May and in May, our our seniors all send in all their things that we require for them of them at the end of the school year um, before they graduate. So they send in portfolios and um, exit exams and all kinds of things. And when you sit and you look at at this work that they're doing and you're just in awe of the things that kids can accomplish if they have the time and the space and the freedom and the permission, you know, to follow their interests and really do what's, what's important to them, that it makes everything worth it. Yeah. It does. And that is, um, it's a beautiful thing, right? When we give kids the space mm-hmm. and the grace to be all that they're capable of yeah. it is in fact remarkable it is yeah mm-hmm. yeah, they, yeah they can do so much more than we give them credit for I mean mm-hmm. you know I've had students who we, we require a capstone project when kids are um, in seniors and they can do whatever they want you know do with something that you know you really want to do and the things kids come up with the projects you know documentaries that they 
win prizes for and composing, you know, orchestra music and, you know, all sorts of interesting things. Um, it's so fun to see. It is fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to that, that joyful, that joyfulness, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, April, I want to thank you very much for making time in your day um, to chat with us and to share the story of what's happening um, at the Kalmara School and um, just really sharing uh, that journey with us. We'll post um, links and and information for folks. And I I encourage um, our listeners, please, if you're interested um, in what April had to say, please reach out. Um, I have no doubt whatsoever they would love to hear from you. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.